Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 19. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power he defends and preserves us, against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself to, into heavenly joy and glory. We will respond to the preaching with the singing of Psalm 98, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, two weeks ago we celebrated the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrated the fact that the Lord Jesus went to heaven and that he took up his rightful place beside his Father. The ascension is a wonderful celebration. For when he went into heaven, he showed himself to be victorious over sin and Satan. He conquered death, and he conquered the agent of death, Satan. And now, in heaven, he is our advocate. He is busy preparing a place for us in heaven. However, exactly what benefit is that for us now? He is no longer with us. It appears to us that we are left here on earth to fend for ourselves, Oh, sure, we are told that Christ is spiritually present here on earth. But you may ask, where is the evidence of that? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, there is lots of evidence. But you have to have your eyes open. And please do so this afternoon. And open your ears as well. For I will preach to you about Christ's glorious rule from heaven for the benefit of the church. And then we will look at three things. First of all, the head of the church. Secondly, the gifts to the church. And finally, the judge for the church. Let me state that once again. I will preach to you about Christ's glorious rule from heaven for the benefit of the church. Three things. The head of the church, the gifts to the church, and the judge for the church. The Catechism tells us that Christ became the head of the church when he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That is in accordance with what we read in Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 23, where it says that God raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so as that passage says, and as other passages of Scripture say as well, Christ is the head, we are the body. A body without a head is dead. The head gives direction to the rest of the body. The head rules the body. If your head is not functioning, then the body is not functioning either. The head sends signals to every part of the body. Now then exactly what does it mean that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church? It means several things. A body can have only one head. That is why Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 10 that God is going to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. Paul has in mind here the final day. And that is when there will be total unity. But in the meantime, because Christ is the head, that is the unity that we also aim for here on earth. And that is what Christ is praying for right now in heaven. And that is the instructions that he gave us through the apostles to be one, to be under one head. And because he is the head, all authority comes from him as well. For it is the head that rules the body, not the other way around. As the Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, verse 10, you have one teacher, the Christ, the anointed one. And that is why here in this church, Christ and Christ alone is preached. Just like Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The head is concerned about the body. It has to, because the two are intimately connected. And Christ also shows that in every way. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Lord Jesus Christ totally sacrificed himself for the body, for the church. There was nothing that he had to give that he would not give up. It is also the head that feeds the body. And that is also exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does. He cares for his body. He cares for his church. It says in Revelation 7 verse 17 that the Lamb will lead them to springs of water, springs of living water. And it says there too that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so the head not only feeds and gives drink to the body, but the head also comforts the body. When it says that Christ as head of the church is seated at the right hand of God, then we have to see that as a position of power. 
In the Bible, the right hand is always portrayed in that way. That is why it says in Psalm 118, verse 16, The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And therefore, do not think, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that Christ is inactive in heaven. And that he is not intimately involved with what happens here with his body here on earth. We can see that from what we read in Acts 7, verse 55, for example, where we read about Stephen, who just before his death was given a glimpse of what was taking place in heaven. And he could see, as it says there, the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus was standing there at the right hand of the Father, urging Stephen on. Urging him on to stand up against his enemies. He was also standing there ready to take his faithful right in his faithful servant right into heaven with him. And we have in the book of Revelation another vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And this time he is not sitting there at the right hand of the Father or standing there. No, it says that he is walking amongst the seven golden candlesticks. And the candlesticks refer to the churches, the congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is walking amongst the churches like a guard on duty, patrolling the danger zones against this church. As head of the church, he is always on guard. Christ, as head of the body, as head of the church, does that and much more. He also gives gifts. That brings us to the second point. Do you know what the greatest gift is that God gives to his church? The greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the first thing that Christ gave to his church after he ascended into heaven. After the ascension came Pentecost, which we celebrated last week Sunday. The Holy Spirit descended not only on the disciples who were gathered there in Jerusalem, but to all the people that were with them. When God's Spirit was poured out on that day, God's word was proclaimed. It was proclaimed in such a way that everyone could understand it, no matter what language or tongue they spoke. And what did they speak of? They witnessed about Christ and his wonderful deeds. Their tongues were loosened. And so the gift that came with the Holy Spirit was the Word, the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit always come together. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Christ does not leave us alone. He gave us the witness of the apostles. They wrote it all down. And now we have God's word together with his Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you want to feel the presence of God, then you have to take God's word very seriously. And as Reformed believers, that is exactly what we want to do. And God's word tells us some very wonderful things. In the footnote of answer 51, the Heidelberg Catechism directs us to Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 12. It says there that he ascended 
on high, that when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. We already saw that the greatest gift was the Holy Spirit. And that with that gift, the gift of God's word comes along. Following Sunday, we will deal extensively with the Holy Spirit. And so I won't say anything more about that now. But this passage also points to the gift of office bearers. He said that he also sent the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. An apostle is someone who has been an eyewitness of the words and the deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. They walked and they talked with him. When the apostles died, their office also ceased to exist. But it is clear from the New Testament that the other offices continue to exist. Today we have in front of us office bearers who are about to be ordained to the respective offices of elder and deacon. Brothers and sisters, these men as office bearers are God's gift to the church. They are God's gifts to you. That is what the text says. And that is what the catechism says. And that's what we believe. Of course, we are speaking about them in their office. God provides leaders to the church. When you speak about the office, then you speak about the position that they have. For example, in society, policemen have an important position. They keep law and order. They represent the law. And therefore, we also honor them in their position. It doesn't matter so much what their name is in the first place, but in the fact that they represent the law of the land that gives them a very special position in society. Well, that's also the case with the office bearer in the church. And listen to what their function is. It says further in that passage that they are given to the church to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so those office bearers are there to prepare you. That is the office that they have been given. And that is why we also honor them. Not necessarily because of the person, but because of the office that God has given them. And what do they do exactly? Well, look, let's look at each element mentioned in that particular passage. The office bearer prepare God prepares God's people for service it says this morning we saw that we must prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ by always be by always being ready to serve him and the only way that office bearers can do that is by being good examples of service themselves that requires in the first place humility there are many men also in this church, who aspire to the office of elder or deacon. And it is a good thing that they do. As long as the aspiration for the office is for the right reason. 
as long as it is because of a sincere desire to serve, to serve God and to serve others. Sometimes such aspirations are for the wrong reasons. Such men aspire to the office because they want to be honored by others. That ultimately means that they want to be served by others. They want to be looked up by others because of their position of leadership. Look at me. I'm a little bit better than you because I was chosen as an office bearer and you weren't. But now listen to what the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, says in Matthew 20, verse 26 and following. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself as an excellent, excellent example of service during his time on earth. He humbled himself in every way. He humbled himself, for example, before his disciples when he washed their feet. He humbled himself when he allowed himself to be ridiculed and scorned. He humbled himself when he, did not when he did not insist on his exalted position as head of the church, as the almighty creator even. No, he allowed himself to be used for the sake of the furtherance of the kingdom of his father. And so it is for an office bearer. He is there to serve. He is there to serve God. And he is there to serve God's people. He is there to serve his people in his ward. And that means that he must care about God's people in the way that the head of the church has shown. An office bearer must be constantly at the ready to serve them. To be there when there is pain and sorrow in a person's life. To be there, in the case of a deacon, to extend financial aid when there are difficulties. Also to be there at times of rejoicing, when there is a significant milestone in the lives of the people, such as a birthday or an anniversary or a graduation. The Lord God gives his gifts also through the office bearers. And in this way, the church is built up. And that's the second element in that passage of Ephesians. An office bearer is there to build and not to tear down. That's why he should not be tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine that comes along. No, he steers a steady course. And he accepts all authority from the head, from Christ, who is the ruler of the church. And he follows his instructions. That is the only way that you can build the church. The members of the church, as we have seen a few weeks earlier in another sermon, the members of the church are living stones. And those stones are all different. They come in different sizes and shapes. It is the task of the office bearer to use those different kinds of stones and to make them together into a beautiful building. 
And in order to be able to use them all, the office bearer has to be very skillful. For each stone has its own beauty. And that beauty is not always evident, and so the office bearer has to discover the beauty of each person and to learn how to use that person in the building of God's church. The deacons also have an important task in that regard. The members of this church have many and various talents. It is up to the deacons to recognize those talents and to encourage those talents for the use in God's kingdom. In the building process, as little material as possible should be discarded. Whatever you can use, you should use. And that's especially the way it is in the building of a church. We must be as inclusive as possible. Office bearers are there to make the church something really beautiful so that others may be attracted to it so that they may also feel included. However, at a certain point you realize that there are materials that cannot be used in the building process. And that's also the way it is in the church. Sometimes discipline is necessary. And that first of all means personal discipline. There's lots of material within us that needs to be discarded. For the devil is always at work in us, also in the office bearers. We may become angry and resentful or jealous or irritated with others. Well, get rid of that. And in the church itself, we also have to exercise discipline over others. You never exercise discipline unless you are absolutely certain that at that particular point, that building stone is no longer alive. And what is the aim of the building process? Well, so that we all reach unity in the faith and also unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and that we become mature, as it says in Ephesians 4. We all have to grow up, no matter how old you are, for growing up Growing up in the Lord is a constant process. When you are one in faith and you confess that you believe in the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then you build one another up in faith to help each other grow in the Lord. That is the task of the office bearers. Then you confess your Lord and Savior who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And then together you also believe the essentials of the Christian faith. And then you will believe about your Lord and Savior that he will come once again on the clouds on that last day. And then you encourage one another as you look forward to that day. And the office bearers may come into the homes and encourage the people in their faith life. They may encourage them when they are down and out. And when they are doubting, when they don't see a way out anymore, when they are lonely and depressed, when they have to deal with financial difficulties, when they have to deal with difficult circumstances in the church, or when someone has cancer suddenly, for example, as happened last week, 
then the office bearer may come with words of the, of the comfort of God's word. For you see, the Holy Spirit works through the word of God, and he equips all of us. God's word is the greatest tool in the arsenal of the office bearer. And therefore, the office bearer himself must be equipped with God's word. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. The Lord God also says that to, those, to these office bearers before us here this afternoon. He says, use that gift. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Brothers and sisters, we do not do these things in our own power. It doesn't depend on man's effort. Man by himself has no idea how to build anything, especially not the church. He can do nothing of his own power. And the enemies against the church are many. The enemy is first of all found in our own hearts. For evil lies close at hand. Evil resides in our hearts. We want to do the right things, but as Paul reminds us in Romans 7, the very things that we want to do, we do not do. Because of the great sin that lives within us. And so... We throw ourselves at the mercy of God and we go to him for strength. The enemy is strongest among us within our hearts and within the communion of saints and within the church. Oh sure, the enemy is also out there in the world. The world does not want the church to survive. But at all times, let us remember, as the catechism reminds us in the second part of answer 51, By his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. The Lord Jesus says in John 10, verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The passage in Ephesians Ephesians 4, verse 12, states that we must attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ, brothers and sisters, will not be realized until the last day. Being servants of God is hard work. It's hard work for the office bearers. But it is not hard work just for them. It's hard work for all of us. But it is a beautiful work. It is the only work that will truly give you satisfaction. All the other work that we can do here on earth is done so that we can acquire things for ourselves. And that is the only kind of work the people of the world know. They work for their own glory. They work for the glory of an earthly kingdom. They have no heavenly perspective. But you and I, we do. It says in answer 52 that in all my sorrow and persecution I lift up my head. That, for example, is what we should be doing when we bring a loved one to the grave. We should not keep looking down on that grave, but we should be looking heavenward where our head is. That is where the Lord Jesus Christ is seated, 
standing there at the right hand of God, ready to take us home to him once the battle is over here on earth. And that's what we should be doing all the time here on earth, looking heavenward. And we should do that during times of adversity, but also during times of prosperity. And we should do that when we experience pain, but also when we experience joy. The office bearers are God's gift to us to bring that divine perspective to the people. And that is what you will hear from this pulpit as well. And the elders have to see to it that such preaching is done faithfully in accordance with the word of God. The people have to be encouraged by God's promises, but they also have to be warned by God's curses on those who do not obey him. It says that the, in the end of answer 52 that God will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. Those are harsh words. They are strong words of warning. We may not like to hear these words, but they are part of God's word. And do you know who the greatest enemy of the church is? Well, you know that is Satan. But once again, don't think that Satan is out there someplace. No, Satan is all around us and he is in us. The greatest enemy is our stubborn pride. It is haughtiness. It is self-righteousness. Selfishness. And that is the enemy that we are fighting right now. And the Lord God gives us office bearers to help us in that fight. It's a fight that they must fight, first of all, in their own lives and also in the lives of others. And finally, the catechism says that he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Brothers and sisters, brother office bearers, the gates of heaven stand open to all God's chosen ones. Our Lord and Savior is standing at the right hand of God, urging us on to carry on in this life, to be faithful, not to give up. And he also stands there ready to take us up to him when he decides that our task here on earth is done. And that is the divine vision we could have this morning and now once again. All those who serve him faithfully will receive heavenly glory. The Lord gives us wonderful gifts. Thanks be to him. Amen.